I'm so disciplined in every area of my life, which I would later realize that was actually part of the problem, <laughs> which I can talk about. Yeah. But what I've realized is that so much of this shame is because we don't understand the deeper connection that, or I should say relationship to food and food really represents belonging. And so if you think about as you grow up, both as a teenager, but in your family, right? Food is coupled with belonging, right? Mm. And developmentally, when we are younger, we need to be chosen. We can't survive on our own. We need to really be in this role of please like me. And I know that that gets a bad rap <laughs> and it's developmentally appropriate at those ages. That's, oh, that's part of how we form our identity. Hi, I'm Biz Kush, a life coach and therapist and your host here on the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. We're talking to women all over the world who found their way back to themselves, to their inner knowing, to their intuition, to their wisest self. We're exploring how to feel alive, authentic, engaged, and fully present in your life. Let's awaken your wise woman. Welcome back to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. I'm Biz Kush, your host, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here. I am so appreciative of all the listeners near and far. And I'm always just so blown away by the breadth and depth of uh, listeners that tune into the podcast, whether it's old episodes or new. Just always so blown away when people reach out to me either for coaching or therapy or just in passing to say, hey, I listened to that episode about whatever it was. They'd want to just let me know how much it meant to them, how deeply it impacted them, where it touched them. And that means a lot to me, means a lot to me. And I want to wish you all a happy holiday season. This episode will air mid-December and I know the holiday season isn't always easy for many of us. And I just want to say that I hope that your holiday is what you hope it to be and that you can make it what you want it to be for yourself. Do for yourself what maybe others aren't going to do for you is what I'm trying to say. So with that being said, the fact that it is the holiday I am into the new year offering the gift of 10% off coaching packages as well as my group coaching program, which will start back up in February. So if that is something that interests you, you can reach out to me through my website. The contact button is there and you can tell me you heard about the 10% off discount on the podcast and I will honor it. If you don't know my coaching website, it's elizabethcushcoaching.com. Cush is spelled with a C. And as I said, there is a button at the top of the page that says, let's talk. And you can click on that and send me an email. 
with it being holiday season, I feel like this episode is with Ali Shapiro is particularly important because for me and for many of us and for it feels like so many holidays, so much of the, the traditions are steeped around food and eating and meals and sharing of meals. And Ali and I are going, going to be talking about the messaging around food that we receive through culture and community and family and how that impacts emotional eating. And so I think it's particularly relevant. So I hope that you take care of yourself this holiday season. I hope that you have a decent holiday or not if you choose, if you don't celebrate whatever the holiday is. And we're going to get into this conversation with Ali Shapiro. Ali Shapiro is the host of the top ranked podcast, Insatiable, a holistic nutritionist, integrated health coach, and rebel with a serious cause. She's academically, practically, and empathetically aware of how the medical system, diet culture, and body positivity movements all have their own flavor of crazy. Allie developed truce while in graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania, where she drew from her decade plus of working with real-life clients and her own personal healing journey from emotional eating and having cancer as a teenager. Let's get into this amazing conversation with Ali Shapiro. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I appreciate your taking the time and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about you and what lights you up? What inspires you? Yeah. Well, lately it is this midlife transition. As we were talking about before we hopped on, I have gone through menopause early. I'm uh, about to turn 45 on Sunday. So I feel like I'm really at that turning point and I feel like it's this big spiritual threshold. There's like layers and tangles. And I was reading this interview. I forget the actress's name, but the quote that struck me, she was saying, when you're going through menopause and midlife, it's like all the women and girls you were before kind of come out to play. And I love that. I wish I could remember because of the brain fog. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought that is, that is such an interesting idea. And I've noticed that I've reconnected with my athleticism, believe it or not, in my mid forties, I went to a high school that was pretty competitive and I wasn't like a top athlete. So because diet culture was our default, it was kind of like, oh, you just start exercising to lose weight. And I found here in midlife, I'm reconnecting with the athlete that doesn't need to make a team that Mm -hmm. is not really as concerned about weight anymore. And it's like my truly competitive nature at the gym. I feel like I'm meeting that 10 year old girl. (laughs) So that's (laughs) that kind of, that's one way that I'm just really curious and passionate about like, Do we get to return to all the things that we missed or that we didn't get to take up because of culture or our circumstances? So, Oh, yeah. Well, and it's such an interesting thing because I feel like 
because of culture, because of whatever family stuff, just how you were raised too, like some of those parts of us, the 10 year old, the, the adventurous, I, I have a very rebellious teenage, you know, angry part <laughs> that they do. I think as we open up as humans and as midlife women, those parts come forward. Yeah. It's almost as if our wholeness is more intact that we can hold them, even if they don't fit into really how we thought they had to fit back then. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I think that's a beautiful uh, way of describing it. So I know you share pretty openly in your bio, but also just through stuff I've seen on, you know, your social media presence is that you ended up with cancer pretty early on in your life, right? Yes, I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What talk about teenage angst? That must have been really hard. Yeah. And I really appreciate you just taking in to be like, wow. I had a, a good girlfriend. She was just diagnosed with breast cancer and she texted me saying, Allie, I can't believe you went through this at 13. And I cried. I was like, oh my God, I don't, I didn't think I realized how much it made me feel separate until now being at this age that other people are going through the same experience. Mm. So I just, at that age, the goal was being cured. And again, I'm the first generation of childhood cancer survivors. I'm so grateful that Western medicine, it saved my life. And I just wanted to be normal. But what I realized through my emotional eating and binging was that there's a difference between being cured and being healed. And I think I'm still unpacking that, (laughs) Um, you know, years later, but yeah, Yeah. it was a lot, but I just wanted to be normal. I didn't want to be worried about the meaning of life and days are short. I mean, that certainly those seeds were planted, but I think I just kind of had to stuff them down because I wanted to return to some sort of normalcy. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like that is the teenage sort of mindset mission is let me just fit in. Let me just be just like everybody else. Yeah. And when we don't feel that, that can be really challenging and not a lot of space to unpack how hard that must have been at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And again, medically, they were so happy that we were alive and same here again, so grateful, but there was now there's emotional resources for for kids. And, and I'm so grateful for that. But for us, they're just, I remember there was one cancer support group that my mom took me to, but it was for a lot of terminal patients and a lot of people were in their sixties. And so then I felt even more alone because, yeah. you know, I was like, I can't relate this to the 60 year old. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. so I'm so glad there's so much more robust support systems now, but I was diagnosed in 1992 and that just wasn't available back then. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So a lot of that, that those issues came out through food. <laughs> right. Well, and I feel like it's funny. I was thinking about my relationship with food before we came into this conversation and thinking about like in my family, there was always food available, but like the food that was, probably not that good for us. Soda and, you know, treats. We, <laughs> it was almost like, you're, this is yours. Like we were given, like you get your own bottle of soda, you get your own candy. 
And so I always almost felt like I had to like protect it. This has to be mine. Like I can't let anybody else know that there's any left because then they're going to take it, which is such a funny, I think about it in my adult life too. Not anymore, but I would like hide chocolate if I bought it because I didn't want my kids to eat it. So I'm like, this is mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like somebody's going to steal it from me. But just emotional eating, I know how prevalent that is as a therapist for sure. And how much shame is wrapped around food and eating and body size and all of it. Would love to sort of hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think that's one of like the biggest things, because I had a lot of shame around it because I was like, I'm so disciplined in every area of my life, which I would later realize that was actually part of the problem, (laughs) which I can talk about. But what I've realized is that so much of this shame is because we don't understand the deeper connection that, or I should say relationship to food and food really represents belonging. And so if you think about as you grow up, both as a teenager, but in your family, right? Food is coupled with belonging, right? Mm. And developmentally, when we are younger, we need to be chosen. We can't survive on our own. We need to really be in this role of please like me. And I know that that gets a bad rap (laughs) and it's developmentally appropriate at those ages. That's part of how we form our identity in relation to other people and being part of a group. And that's not always a bad thing. So if you think about your earliest memories of food and if, if people listening think about it, whenever I ask clients or do workshops, you know, there's like four main themes, right? Often food is associated with accomplishment and reward when we got mm-hmm. recognized for something, right? Yep. I remember being afraid to jump off the diving board at swimming lessons and my dad being like, if you do it, we'll go to Dunkin' Donuts. You know, and I was like, fear averted. I'm like, in a problem, <laughs> you know, um, and that's not inherently a bad thing, right? We all need to be recognized or I did this program with Pizza Hut in public school. It was like, if you ate, if you read five books, you know, you got a free personal pan pizza called Book It. It was called Book It. So a lot of us, and I'm I'm sure you can think of, can you think of something that... Oh, totally. Like, yeah. Well, I I think about raising my own kids. Good report card. You get to go out to dinner, right? (laughs) You get to pick the restaurant, right? Yeah. And it's so important to be recognized and food is one way that we're saying, oh, we belong here. We're contributing. We're Mm -hmm. making people happy. The other theme around food is it really grounds us in uncertain times. In Ayurvedic, which is a tradition which is more holistic, more metaphorical, food is earth. It is mother, right? And we think of earth as our original ancestor, (laughs) you know, in a way. We all come from there. And so during communions, bat mitzvahs, funerals, times of uncertainty, even the seasons change, food orients us. Oh, Mm -hmm. you are part of this culture. Here's where you are, the ritual within the bigger context of your community. Mm -hmm. And thank God. And I think that's something beautiful that food can offer. Then what often gets, I think, in the emotional eating space gets kind of like, you shouldn't use food for comfort. But when you think about it from as babies, when we're born, food is immediately coupled with comfort as it should be. Right. Right. As babies, we have two primal needs to be touched and to be fed. And being fed is so, and being hungry is so uncomfortable. 
Mm-hmm. And when we're fed by our caretakers, we know we're safe. We're going to survive, right? right? So that's a beautiful thing that we mm-hmm. can get that message when we're, we don't have an intellect yet. We're not narrating our lives. We're just like all nervous system, right? Right, right. We're just, <laughs> right. We are just all just respond and yeah, react. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then the, and then the fourth theme is around connection, right? Like often this is like, oh, people eat when they're lonely and we can talk about that. But again, originally food shows us, oh, I'm with my people. It's a birthday party. It's a Thanksgiving. It's the Super Bowl. I mean, we can yeah. talk about how it's, you know, but it's like sure. but or family dinners, right? Some family dinners. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of family dinners, right, are like, is the conversation comfortable? Is everything being said that needs to be said? Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's this invisible through line of belonging that often then as adults, we have an opportunity to evolve and individuate. And I think this especially comes out in midlife of saying, okay, this was a foundation, but what do I choose now? Mm. So that is a developmental leap. And so part of that is what do we want food to be about anymore, right? And it doesn't mean, it, it will always be those things around recognition and accomplishment and orienting us and connection and comfort. But if we're going to that during times where, Like if we always feel like we're just as adults, it often tracks as like, well, I'm just always working and working. And then I deserve this eating at night. At midlife, it's the time to say like, am I really enjoying all of this work? Where, how do I start to enjoy the process versus just trying to jump off the diving board to get to the, if I'm reading, what books do I want to read rather than just getting to the accomplishment of five books, right? And so that is where these primal needs for belonging aren't going anywhere. And so food, I really talk about is safety. And when we're turning to it, it's like, it makes so much sense. And I think that's the first step in unshaming this. Why does this make sense? If you know what I just, you know, I obviously gave a brief thumbnail of, okay, you have these primal needs of belonging as kids and as adults it all makes so much sense. So first we just need to start there, I think. And I wish I would have known that when I was binging and emotionally eating. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think about too, for kids who either their food was scarce or food was withheld or you were looked upon if your body size didn't fit what the the rest of the family was and you were eating more or less than everybody else. There's so much emotional tie to the food, to eating, to food, to there's just so much that gets connected to it just through family dynamic. Yeah. Well, and and that's a huge, even if parents are like, well, I don't want to pass this along to my kids or, you know, and again, that, 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 this is a re that's a recent development. <laughs> I yeah. think most of us who, who are coming at midlife now all grew up in diet culture because our parents, there wasn't diversity of media. We have to remember that. Right. Sure. And so it's like, I know my parents thought that health and my parent, my mom was had like grown up on an organic farm, wasn't called organic at the time, but And my dad grew up very poor, very food insecure, struggled with his weight because he was on government food. And it was like for, and he was heavy as a kid and he was a health and phys ed teacher. And so they really valued health, but 
back then health was defined as thinness, right? Yes. Yes. And so even though my parents never said anything to me, my dad would say, I'm running from the fat man every morning, or he would describe people by their size. And so you pick up on that as a kid and then you go to the doctors and Mm -hmm. it is very much, obviously there's this deeper through line of belonging, but there's also the more concrete of like, do I belong based on my body size or what my family is valuing here? So for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of the work you do helps people sort of create a better relationship with themselves around food, I think. And yes. eating and yeah, and diet. And and I you could describe a little bit about what you do and how it undoes some of this stuff that's <laughs> been done to us or whatever that has built up over time. Yeah. Well, part of it is starting to really look at food outside of the calories in, calories out meaning and tying it to weight loss. And that's something that's easier said than done. But I think because we're talking to wise women, we can, we often know that we learn that the obstacle is the path, right? So for me, I was starting to think, oh, thinness is healthy. And it's ironic. I was the thinnest I ever was on chemotherapy, but I didn't make that connection because of the culture, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, oh my God, yeah. the sickest I ever was, was when I was the thinnest, but culture, you know, cult, and then of course your parents and your, there's so many layers to this. Mm. So one of the first things is that we start doing is really starting to get to why, why does it make sense? So what are the root issues here? Because it really, it is about the food, but it's not about the food. And so one of the first things is really figuring out what foods work for you and not from a weight loss standpoint, but literally from how you eat at one meal sets up how you're going to feel for the next three to four hours. Mm. So part of it is starting to actually think what feels good versus what I was told was good. And so when you start to tell people, hey, let's start tracking if you're going to, I do experiments with food because the whole thing is you can, you have to learn to trust your body. So I'm not going to tell you what to eat, but I'm going to give you Mm -hmm. a structure to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I give people start with breakfast. All right. Do still cut oats with some raisins and whatever, or try eggs and avocado. Right. And I use a framework according to nervous systems. So people have different nervous systems need different types of diets. Mm. And I say, for the next three to four hours, I want you to look at your mood. Is it more stable? Because some a lot of people have anxiety because their blood sugar is crashing. So it's like, do you have an absence of anxiety that maybe you never knew was possible to have? Do you feel satiated? Do you mm-hmm. feel calm? And do you arrive at your next meal with a healthy sense of hunger instead of hangry? Yeah. And my background is, my master's degree is actually in like adult change and learning. And adults actually need pretty quick results to stick with something. And we think results means weight loss, but I'm like, no, I want you to start to see why this food can be medicine for you, how it can make Mm -hmm. your life easier, make your life better versus what you're going to look like. And again, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden wanting to lose weight disappears, but we're going to try to start to center, oh my God, I want to do this for me, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost like how do, how do I best nourish my body, myself, my, my soul, my, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I love that you mentioned soul because it's how we eat is also symbolizing how we're relating to ourselves. So for example, when people are eating alone and in secret, right? Symbolically, they're really feeling separate and alone in some way. And so that's also the work that I do with clients, which I find is like the food is actually the easy part. (laughs) It's like, Mm. I mean, we're in this era of keto, vegan. It's like actually not that complicated once you start listening to your body and you do a couple of experiments. Now it gets more complicated if you're in perimenopause or you're not sleeping there. I I don't want to diminish that complexity, but the real complexity comes around the work I do with clients is like, where is your story active? that makes you feel like you don't belong. And that can be really hard because again, developmentally, people often think they're self-aware, but they're self-monitoring what they think other people are going to think. And so often people will eat at night and it's not about what just happened right before then that they're eating, right? Versus one of my clients, she's like, I ended up in the refrigerator just staring there. I'm not hungry, how did I get here? But I'm gonna eat it, eat. And I'm like, well, I'm like, what felt hard about that moment? What felt hard? Oh, I was rehearsing four different conversations I had with four different people and wondering what was the outcome of that going to be? You know, so it was like all this stuff ahead of that she kind of just pushed on through. And then when there was finally space, but this is a belonging issue at the end of the day, she was worried about how she was going to be perceived, right? And because especially women we're conditioned to want people to like us. And there's nothing, again, inherently wrong with that. I think in our culture, it's like, don't care what other people think. And it's like, well, okay, first of all, we need everybody. And second of all, women are pretty savvy that we are judged in a different way, right? So often what we think of as an inner critic is really an inner protector being like, yeah, this complete reframe is like, you can trust yourself more, but Mm -hmm. ultimately what, this And I think this invitation of midlife where you're like, okay, I really get that I'm not going to, that time is, and I'm not time running out in a scarcity way, but like there's a, yeah. yeah and, and there is an end. Yeah. And, you know, estrogen, if you're through menopause, you don't have as much estrogen, so you don't care as much. And there's a real psychological shift around that, our yeah. hormones, but it's starting to think about what do I choose? How do I want to show up here? Mm-hmm. And it's starting to value really the process more. It's really starting to value what's important to us here more, right? And it starts with redefining how we value food at first, right? Okay, let's take it out of just weight loss. How can it be medicine? Or when do I really want it to be connection, right? Maybe I don't care about connecting at work over the bagels, but I do need connection. And what type of connection do I value? Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients hate small talk. I hate small talk. So it's, Okay, yeah. showing up somewhere where I'm around people, I actually feel more alone because loneliness is about our social needs getting met. Right. So it's really starting to see like what feels hard about the situation that makes me want to turn to food and then starting to belong to ourselves first and accessing our own needs and turning inward. And then the food takes care of itself. You don't have to white knuckle. You don't need more rules. It just, you start to build a more mature version of safety, specifically psychological safety and belonging, which Mm. is really you having your own back and that you can trust that you're going to advocate for yourself. And I really think of like treating yourself and taking care of yourself like you want to be taken care of. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Well, and for me, that food can be like a a complement to my life. Like it doesn't have to be, I don't have to be monitoring and weighing every single thing that goes into my body. And I can, if I'm paying attention to what I'm eating and noticing what makes me feel good, it's a really, it's, it's a lovely relationship that doesn't feel judgmental. It feels just like, ah, this is nice. Like I, I enjoy my, I'm trying to think what I have. I usually eat oatmeal and fruit for breakfast. I love it. Like I could eat that every day and it makes me feel good. And, and on the weekends, if I want to have an egg and bacon or whatever, like it's okay to, that fills me up versus like, oh, am I keeping score of what came into my body and how much I exercised? Yeah. And the research shows actually that the more you think about weight, the worse the outcomes. Mm. And I think we have this underlying belief that the harder we work, the more results we'll get. I mean, that's in America, this meritocracy. Oh, capitalism at its best. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Keep you working. But what I work on with my clients is actually the more food noise you have, the worse the results. And I discovered that with myself. It's like, oh, the more I monitor and think and plan, I think I'm actually doing the work, but it's not productive because really it's fueled by uncertainty and doubt versus, so I really help clients realize that food noise comes from either your blood sugars crashing (laughs) and that's a real biological limit that you have to learn how to manage. And that's just figuring out the right foods for yourself. But then the other times when you're starting to think about food and it's really that belonging risk, right? Like my climbing, like it's three o'clock and I'm starting to think about what I can eat when I get home from dinner. Oh, what's going on at three o'clock? What's happening? Like, let's get curious. Yes. Are you feeling exhausted? Are you feeling uncertain? Are you feeling inadequate? Are you feeling lonely? Those, those, it's the tail triggers that are like the top four, pretty much 90% of of eating comes back to, I call them what's at the tail end of your food noise. And let's start there and start to think, okay, if I'm feeling exhausted, tired, what do I need? Do I need to go get some sunshine? Do I need to move my body? Cause I'm actually stagnant. Right. And rather than thinking that what I'm going to do and this mirrors with food and exercise, like you think like the harder you work, you should be burnt out. Good exercise counts if it's like sweaty and you hate it and you're exhausted. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like that causes you then want to reward. And then you're also have overstressed your body. So physiologically, you're just going to crave more carbs. But it's like, how do you actually feel more energized by what you're going to do? So it's starting to start with those really small needs that often your body has that we've overridden them because we live in a very cerebral culture and that's what's rewarded. But coming back into our body and really starting to choose yourself and what you need in those moments. Mm. And over time, answering those needs, really you start to like, trust that you have your own back now. Yes. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave that there. Cause there is like a catch, of course, <laughs> it's never that easy. <laughs> no, no, but, but I, I love the sort of coming back to yourself, trusting your body. I feel like it, especially my generation, like so disconnected from my body for so much of my life to just like other than what I looked like in the mirror, right? Not tapping into how I was feeling, what was happening emotionally, that I feel like 
what you shared is like a message that I feel like I share again and again and again with clients is that to build the trust inside means you have to listen. You got to like feel. Yeah. And it can be complicated again, because and I'll use food because that's my wheelhouse. A lot of times people feel anxious because their blood sugar is dropping. Like my clients realize 50% of their quote unquote emotional eating is they're just not eating the right foods for themselves. They think they try to be vegetarian, but they need animal protein. They think they shouldn't eat carbs, but they need complex carbs. And then once you get that physicality part of it, then it's easier to, okay, when I go in there, what am I feeling? And I think the work that I do around story is a little bit harder because, and I guess I can get technical with you, but Often in the emotional eating space, you know, they say, oh, just feel your feelings for 90 seconds and they will go away. But that's technically an emotion. That's like a sensation of discomfort. But if emotion is attached to some sort of meaning, it becomes a story and that feels chronic. So you can't even start to see, oh, I can feel any different because it's just the water you're swimming in. So in my truth with food work, we really spend the first half of the program, three months, literally trying to get yourself distance mm-hmm. from how you're perceiving and feeling about like a chronic tension that you might not have ever known you were living with because it's been with you for decades. So that's where like, it's like, oh, now I can see I'm reacting this way. I'm feeling this way. But that's, for example, a story that I really had to work on in midlife, as I was telling you, I was postpartum. I had my son at 41 Mm. and I was going through menopause at the same time. Definitely challenging. And I found that I couldn't work the way that I used to. So I I no longer overate. I've never drank. I don't like to spend money. Like overworking was my last vice. And I did my own process on me to be like, well, I know I need to slow down. I know I need more rest. I want to enjoy my son more. Why can't I stop overworking? And for me, I had this deep story about needing to be exceptional. And that is really what got me recognition in life academically. So it tracks with work, you know, as as an adult. But I didn't understand that I was taking in the whole world through this unconscious. It's not because it necessarily was deep, but we're always taking shortcuts, right? So like everything I was doing, I got to do it the best. You know, and not everything I should say. I don't, there's a lot of things I do not compete about, but in work and everything being to a certain standard. And it's like, oh, once I could see that, Mm. oh my God, that was running so much. So you you have to be able to see it, I guess, is what what I'm saying. And so it's it's a little bit more complicated and really starting to pick my own metrics of what matter around me with my work, because I don't want that running my life and controlling me anymore. Totally, totally. Well, I think about, I was just in a group, coaching group earlier where somebody was sharing, but the people say this about therapy too. As you sort of unpack the onion, un, you know, de-layer the onion, that there's more layers beneath that. And like, as you get to the center, those core beliefs or those core stories that you hold, like that's where the work can be, right? Yes, that is it. Yeah. And that's why I say food is the obstacle in the path because it will point you to these Mm -hmm. stories. And that's actually the protective resistance is this is not about these stories not being true or not. Sometimes in the coaching world, it's very binary, like, oh, Oh, totally. Just think your way through it, right? Yeah, 
How about better? Yeah. yeah, Or wrap around, get the into this mindset. And I'm like, but actually you need discernment and nuance and and context. hundred percent. Because the reality is if I continued to work, I probably would get more results, you know? (laughs) And so I'm not saying that that's, that's not true. And I had to start asking myself questions like, what is enough? And so the protective resistance is like, can I still be recognized? And I first have to recognize and reward myself for what I value at this midlife stage, which before having a kid and also midlife, I didn't value my time as much. I could just work on the weekends. I I could bounce back. Cannot do that anymore. (laughs) Right? So it's like, okay. So how do I incorporate this new emergent set of values? And if I can't see this story, I can't understand why I keep doing the thing that I don't want to be doing. Yeah. And so it's adding more texture to the story rather than being like, that was wrong and you were wrong. And And again, I think so much of, and I can only speak to coaching. I'm not in the therapy world, but so much of it is binary reshaming people versus like your stories have served you. Oh, so, well. so served you. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Which is what I love about, which I talk about on the podcast that, you know, internal family systems or IFS is all about honoring all the parts of you, even the parts that, yeah, maybe have been super critical or overworking or whatever, they serve a purpose and they've worked really hard to keep you safe and following the right path and not getting hurt, even though we can't ever fully protect ourselves from that. <laughs> but yeah, they they have a job that's really important and mindset and just just give yourself some positive affirmations. Like, well, if you don't believe them, you're just setting up more conflict internally, right? <laughs> well, and they're also not often true. <laughs> so right. well, I like them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's a lot of podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is a whole we can talk about that all on on its yeah. own. So I have just loved this conversation so much. You're so easy to talk to. <laughs> you are too. <laughs> what if you had a little slice of wisdom that you thought was important to share with listeners, what might that be? Yeah, I really think food is inviting you into deeper healing, physically, emotionally, and on the soul level. The one question I think always leaving people with is like, next time you're frustrated with your eating, next time you want to go beat yourself up and think, how do I fix this? I want you to ask yourself, why does this make sense? Why does this make sense? And keep asking yourself. And the answer might not come right away because if you're in shame or you're in fight or flight, you can't think of that. But it will unfurl if you keep asking yourself that question. And I think it's really important to start that different orientation because it's not one that we're taught. <laughs> so that I think so true. why does this make sense? is mm. so, so important. Self, what we think of self-sabotage is really self-protection and it makes so much sense. Once you can unpack it, you know, with someone who understands it the a holistic way, but you can start to do that for yourself. Just yeah. why does this make sense? Mm. Nice, love that. <laughs> so if people wanted to know more about your program and working with you, how would they find you? Yeah, well, I have a podcast, Insatiable, which I think is a really great place to start. And then on my website, alishpira.com, I have a comfort eating quiz. 
so people can identify what kind of comfort eater they are. Yeah. And then once a month, I offer free community gatherings around these kind of question topics. Okay. It's usually open Q&A. So if, if you're like, what do you mean this makes sense? <laughs> you want some help? Come to the call. <laughs> oh, nice. You can go to alishabira.com backslash gathering on the first Tuesday of every month. I have those. And then on Instagram, I'm at Ali, A-L-I-M Shapiro, S-H-A-P-I-R-O. Although I'm less and less on there these days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Trying to protect my time. <laughs> yeah, that is the truth. Talk about a time suck. Yeah, it can be. But yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. I appreciate your, I don't know, uh, the word that comes to mind is like gentleness around this topic of food and eating and health. And that's really lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was hard earned. It was hard won. <laughs> well, I feel like you, the, those of us that have won hard are the best teachers or the best guides, right? Yes, for okay. sure. For sure. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wow. That conversation was so, so easy. It really just flowed seamlessly. I think I looked at my questions once and that we covered all the things and more that I wanted to talk about just because that was the flow. That was the flow of the conversation. And it was just so, it's so fulfilling for me to talk to women with a, like a social conscience an awareness of how culture and society and the patriarchy and capitalism impact us every day. And in this particular conversation around our relationship with food and the messages we got around food and the stories that we then hold and carry with us about food and weight and health. So just so much thanks for Allie for being on the podcast. And I hope you all will check out her stuff. And if uh, her program sounds interesting to you, you can find out more about it in the show notes of the podcast. Just go to elizabethcushcoaching.com and you'll see a link for the podcast there and show notes. But if you would like the show notes right in your mailbox through my newsletter, you could sign up and that way you get access to all the offers that I share, what books I'm reading. You get to know firsthand when my coaching groups will start up and getting on the list there. So much good information, but you can only get it if you sign up for the newsletter. That's at elizabethcushcoaching.com forward slash sign up. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope that you are kind and compassionate with yourself. If you do struggle with emotional eating, I hope that you find some kindness and compassion for your journey. I look forward to connecting with all of you right here on the podcast next time. 
Thanks for listening to the Awaken Your Wise Woman podcast. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Music by Andy Cush, sound editing by Laura Disler, and show notes by Kathy Cush. If you'd like more information about me, Biz Cush, and the resources shared today, go to awakenyourwisewoman.com.